Today's show is sponsored by CloudZero. For software-driven companies focused on growing margins, CloudZero is the only cloud cost intelligence platform that puts engineering in control by connecting technical decisions to business results. By analyzing cloud services like AWS and Snowflake, CloudZero provides real-time cost insights that help you maximize margins. Engineering teams can answer critical questions like, who are my most expensive customers? How much does this specific feature cost our business? What's the cost impact of re-architecting this application? With cost anomaly alerts via Slack, product-specific data views, and granular engineering context that makes it easy to investigate any cost, CloudZero is your complete cloud cost intelligence platform, connecting the dots between high-level trends and individual line items. Join companies like Drift, Rabbit7, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com cloudcast to get started today. That's cloudzero.com slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Welcome to the first show of 2022. We hope everyone was able to unplug and get a little rest over the holiday break. Now, if you are a new listener within the last 12 months and haven't been with us for the beginning of a year yet, let me do a quick introduction as our format will change just slightly for the next few shows. Every January, we take a few trends Brian and I think will be important in the coming months, and we go find experts. These shows will be less about specific products and technologies and more about macro trends in the industry for 2022. We call them our look-ahead shows. We will resume our normal show format in a few weeks. Without other way, let's jump into Cloud News of the Week. For our first item, we have the always awesome Cloud of Judgment Substack. In case you are new to Cloud of Judgment, pull up the show notes, Right now, head on over to the link and subscribe. Clouded Judgment does a great analysis of everything SaaS. For this week's article, we wanted to highlight the look back in Q3 in public cloud software. This was published uh, right before the new year. And as always with Clouded Judgment articles, this is very long, very detailed analysis of the winners and losers and the evaluation criteria used. The big winners aren't surprising here, Datadog and Snowflake. For both companies, they see high growth, great customer retention, and of course, great forward-looking revenue patterns. As I mentioned, the article is long, but it is a must-read for anyone interested in SaaS. I personally find the articles not just informative about the companies, but also educational into the frameworks, into how a VC thinks about valuations in the SaaS space. So definitely worth a read and definitely go check that out. For our second item, we have an insight into the state of the employment in our industry. If you have been following along with Cloud News recently, this shouldn't be a surprise. Uh, We've covered similar trends, similar patterns recently. But I wanted to highlight this one as well. George Oros has a great Twitter thread we'll link to on the state of hiring of senior versus junior tech workers. And this is an aspect we really haven't covered before. And 
there actually is turning out to be a polarizing divide that has been developing and is kind of coming to a head. And let me explain. For senior roles, demand is surging. And this leads to significant increases in offers. While junior positions, they're getting harder and harder to find. Now, why would this be? George points to a number of different reasons. COVID was a trigger in some ways and and a little bit of like almost like the gasoline on the fire, something that was simmering and has now been brought out and brought to attention. As mentioned by George, there are six trends kind of all hitting at the same time. George points to digital transformation across all industries, the exploding capital markets. At the same time, there's a drought in senior folks. So something else there is is location doesn't matter as much as it used to. There isn't this need to be in the valley like there used to be as companies are adjusting to post-COVID work styles. Uh, And the adjustment upwards in salaries is something we have seen for a while. And George thinks we'll continue. But I admit, I hadn't seen that entry-level positions becoming harder and harder to find. And so his analysis of the dichotomy there between senior and junior level positions is definitely something to think about as we move into 2022. For our third and final topic, we have a blog from the AWS Enterprise Strategy Team. Now, if you aren't familiar with the Enterprise Strategy Team, they meet with executives at their customers and help them with their future strategy. The article this week is a look back at 2021 and has some valuable trends that are worth highlighting and and talking about. It's a great look into what are on the minds of execs across the world and across verticals and industries as well. The team took every blog from 2021 and broke them into themes, financial and business value, environmental and social, strategy, AI and ML, execution, which by the way, most articles were in the execution bucket and security. If this is interesting, head on over and give it a read. And it's a great jumping off point to do some reading and is a great summary for 2021. With that, I'll close out cloud news for this week. Coming up after the break, we have our first look ahead with good friend of the show, Anil, talking about venture capital markets and funding in 2022. Today's show is sponsored by JumpCloud, introducing the JumpCloud directory platform, the directory reimagined for the modern world. JumpCloud changes the way IT administrators manage their organizations by providing a comprehensive and flexible cloud directory platform. From one pane of glass, manage user identities and resource access, secure Mac, Windows, and Linux devices, and get a full view of your environment. Try JumpCloud for free today at jumpcloud.com and help your organization move to a modern, secure hybrid work model. Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a cloud monitoring platform built by engineers for engineers, enabling full stack observability for modern applications. Datadog integrates seamlessly to gather metrics and events from more than 450 technologies including cloud providers, databases, and web servers. Easily identify slow-running queries, error rate bottlenecks, 
and move fast with built-in dashboards, algorithmic alerts, and end-to-end request tracing and log management. Datadog helps engineering teams troubleshoot and collaborate together in one place to enhance performance and prevent downtime. Start a free trial today, and Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Just visit datadog.com slash cloudcast to get started. That's datadog.com slash cloudcast. And we're back. And Aaron, we are kicking off 2022. Um, how was your How was your holiday, man? Good, good. Um, and it's interesting too. You can probably hear it in the background, but something that hasn't changed, you know, as we roll into 2022, is background noises and un- uncontrolled things. You you know you you heard fire engines. There's dogs. There's helicopters. But we're gonna power through. Yeah, absolutely. today. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we always we we always like to start off the year with these sort of look ahead shows, right? A little little bigger context shows and. And we always say the best place to start in this industry is, is to sort of follow the money. So we thought, well, let's let's go right to the source. Let's talk to some of the the, the VC folks who are you know putting money into the market. And uh, it's great to have a good friend of the show, longtime friend of the show, Anil Lakani, who is now venture partner at Crane uh, Venture Capital. Anil, welcome back to the show, man. It's uh, it's good to hear from you. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, you are you are now so you've been on the show a few times. We've we've worked together. We've known you for for a very very long time. Um, you've been uh, on the industry side of things. You've worked for a lot of very cool companies. You've been an investor. You're now a VC. Give folks just a little bit about you know kind of how you've evolved the last four or five years and, and what what eventually got you to doing VC full time. Yeah, sure. So. The last startup I was at, I ran marketing. I left that startup and basically took a little time off and then was freelance for a bit, stepped in as head of marketing a couple of times at different companies. And then I started working with dedicated portfolios. So I was working with one or another VC's startups to help them with marketing challenges as they grew. And uh, that led to becoming interested in investing full time, which led to joining Crane as an investor. Yeah, good stuff. So fill us in for those for those folks who, you know, only know venture capital from the headlines, you know, so and so company gets big round of funding or, you know, we see pictures of VCs, you know, running around at events in, in puffy uh, puffy vests and stuff. Like <laughs> g- give me give me a week in the life, for example, day in the life of of what venture capital is doing these days, especially nowadays, since if we're gonna get into this, like it feels like things are are kind of crazy all over the place. But just, you know, give folks a sense of, you know, who you're interacting with, how you're, you know, collecting information to make decisions, you know, all those sort of things that, that you're doing day to day. Yeah, sure. So the, the the average day is full of meetings, which is honestly not that much different than any of my previous sure. jobs. <laughs> Spending a lot of time on Zoom or Google Meet or sometimes on Microsoft Teams, even though I dislike Teams. Um, and and all all we're doing is talking to people who have started companies, figuring out whether or not those are good ideas from our perspective, whether or not they serve a real need out there in the world, whether or not these people are the right people to do that, whether or not a company is going to be successful, which is as much art as science, and then talking to a bunch of people who are not ourselves to go figure out whether our theories are true. So I spend as much time going through all the people I've ever worked with or known 
who can give me an honest read on whether or not something's like a good idea or if I'm right that there's a market need for some kind of product or if I'm right that some person working in some role like a data scientist really needs a new way of experiment tracking or whatever and and you know validating our ideas so that we can have some confidence when we go into an investment and that's the, that is the majority of time that's hours and hours and hours every day just talking to people basically doing that and then you spend a little bit of time actually doing deals <laughs> <laughs> so anil um you know I, I, what i feel like in, and especially this is Evolved over the last five years, but then, you know, Brian and I have talked in the past, it, it seems like the funding models have changed and, and how much money is flowing. And it seems like it used to be like A, A round, B round, C round, and then IPO as quickly as you can. Now it's like, oh, we've got a G round and an H round, and it's all big, you know, rounds and super big valuations. And so, you know, it seems like there's a lot more money flowing into the startups, first of all, um, but a lot more even early on, like crazy big A rounds, you know, for instance, right? And so there almost seems to be like a quote unquote home run mentality kind of happening of these go big or go home. Um, is that really happening or is this just that's yes. what catches the headlines? Oh, okay, no, no, that's, that's no. <laughs> really, that's really, really happening. There is, generally speaking, not just in VC, there is just a lot of money flowing around looking for places to park itself to make a return. So if that's true everywhere else, it's also true in VC. Uh, in VC, you also have a few other things happening. One is very, very large funds that did not typically invest in early stage companies are investing in early stage companies, and they're willing to spend more money at that stage. You also have the rise of individual investors who are not firms, they're just a person who has hundreds of millions of dollars to spend. And and you run out of big, bigger private companies, bigger startups to spend money on because there's generally the later stage you go, the less competitors they are because a bunch fall out. So if you're looking for places to stick your money, you keep going earlier and earlier and uh, you keep competing for deals, which keeps pushing up prices. And this this is a self-reinforcing loop right now. Yeah. And, and is it is it kind of, I mean, is it that because people are, is it more people looking for places to put money or do you feel like it's um you know these sort of giant rounds are happening early because people are like you know whatever this thing is it needs a lot of uh it needs a lot of fuel if you will to go compete against a a google or a tesla or a whatever i mean does it feel like sort of the the david david and goliath needs a really big rock on day one kind of mentality or is that maybe not it so much it I think it's a little of both. I really do believe, however, that it is more a function of a lot of money looking for places to go rather than a function of wanting to compete. Because arguably, the barrier to competition keeps going down over time. Or at least that's what we say. That's what we all believe. That's what the whole industry is predicated on. Uh, Although, clearly, it is hard to compete with big incumbents like Google. But on on the flip side... You know, there should be 20 sales forces. There aren't 20 sales forces. Why aren't there 20 sales forces? Mostly because people find it boring to build a sales force. And if someone came along and built a sales force, I don't think it would take that much money. It's just not a lot of people want to do it. Right, right. Mm, interesting. Okay, okay. So, Anil, let's, let's kind of go back then to so, some of your personal things. 
how do you go about creating your investment thesis like we were talking about earlier other than you know millions of zoom calls right uh-huh. do you have do you have like a future horizon you think about is it te- certain tech sectors is it you know founder personalities is it all of the above well i'm at a firm so there's there's the firm's thesis and what the firm invests in. And then within that, there's what my interests are. And, and within that framework where I like to spend my time and efforts, I'm, I'm a little ADD in these things because I'm interested in a lot of things. So I tend to be all over the place, um, but I do have some expertise. So I, you know, I tend to be deeper on the places where I have a background and I've worked stuff you know, associated with analytics or with um, time series, stuff like that. And then everything else is also interesting to me. So as a firm, we specialize in B2B software, things uh, that are enterprise-y or things that are tools for people who build things with software. So developer-facing tools, open source tools, data science and data engineering-facing tools, things like that. So that's the general range of stuff we invest in. Some of it is vertical, like we do a lot of investing in machine learning applications in vertical spaces, in vertical spaces like logistics and supply chain. And some of it is purely horizontal, like um, uh, an investment we we recently uh, publicized called Serbos, which is basically a uh, permissions system for internal app permissions to control, you know, who has access to what, under what conditions, both internal users and external users. Yeah. I'm curious, um, you know, when, when you guys get involved with a company, obviously you can get involved really early or, you know, later rounds and so forth. Like, how you know having having been sort of on both sides of the fence right you've been at some early stage startups that have grown and now you've been on the investment side like how does that tend to work I, you know like when there's when there's one kind of primary investor you know they're they're trying to help you they're you know they're allowing the founders to do certain things what happens when there's a bunch of them um, and you've either got sort of competing interest or like what are the what is the what does the startup company expect from their investors once there's five that are sort of you know leading the C round or D round? Yeah, well, I'll state it from our stage because we are an early stage investor. So we do pre-seed and seed. We'll, we'll put in a little money at series A or series B, but we're usually done by the time growth rounds come around. Mm-hmm. Insofar as we're not we're not a significant portion of the cap table, we're not a significant holder of, of equity and, and we're not a the biggest player on the board by far but even at the earlier stages this this is a dynamic of it's i would say not much different than managing an executive staff right you've got a bunch of people on the board they all generally want the startup to succeed because if the startup succeeds they succeed usually the only time there's contention is one if the startup is not succeeding for some reason and people have different ideas about why that is or different ways they think they're going to solve that problem or two if the startup is succeeding extremely well and there's jockeying about who's going to get how much allocation the next round or or who's going to get more equity or who's going to be able to put in more money those are usually the conditions under which there are there are disagreements and the board needs to be managed but it, it is i don't think it's materially different than managing a you know when you're in a later stage and you've got a bunch of execs in a room managing that dynamic you know, there are people, they have, sometimes they have competing interests and you have to balance them out. And as founders, part of your job is to run your board and not let your board run you. Yeah, that makes sense, man. Manage it up as opposed to letting them tell you what to do. Interesting. 
interesting. And, and Anil, let me ask you this then as well. You mentioned earlier, Crane is, is more early stage. You know, what, what defines or what are kind of the differences between early, early stage and later stage, you know, when, uh, is it just more of like, okay, the, this is the mentality and the staff and what they want to get involved in and they want to get in these stages and, you know, yeah, it look, can be, what do they look for? Right? It, it can, it can be hard to tell what is and isn't early stage anymore. Um, mm, true. when I, <laughs> when I think of early stage, I think of one, how much investment have you raised to date? So there's early stage from the perspective of crane is typically going to be your first institutional check. Um, or I think of where you are in the life cycle of your first product, whatever that is. When we invest, typically you don't have a product in market or you do have a product in market, but you've not begun to monetize it. So you've got a freemium version and the free version's out and you don't have a paid version yet. Or all you have is a prototype and you don't even, you're not even, you're like basically at MVP. Uh, so that's typically when we invest. So for us, that is what constitutes early stage. Although um, there are people who go much further at early stage where they've raised no money and yet they've got a V1 out there with 50,000 users, right? And there are other people who early stage is just some slides or a Notion document and no team, no code, not even an architecture. So yeah, let me ask you a question. So you know, you, you've been on, on, on sort of multiple sides of this, right? You've, you've worked at companies who've, you know, been at various stages. They could be early stage or mid stage. Like how do you, how do you, uh, you know, think about sort of the balance between people come to you, they're looking for funding. Um, and, and in some cases they're going to be totally new, right? Totally new idea. Um, you know, they're, they're going to try and create their own market or they've leapfrogged something in technology versus somebody comes to you and maybe they go, Hey, we're, we're a better, I don't know, this is an example. We're a better observability mousetrap. And we're we're not even observability anymore. We're beyond, like, how do you balance between being like, I, I want to go after this thing, which is sort of unknown, but I really think it, it is sort of the future. And just being like, boy, there's a really big known market there. And the incumbents have become kind of fat and lazy. And, and maybe that's where to go. Like, do, do you think about it that way? Or is, I mean, is that a, a balance you have to find? I am a hundred percent okay with both of those things. Okay. To be to be honest, the way I think about it is some of it is portfolio construction. We've got X many companies we can invest in for this fund. You know, we need they can't all be solving the same exact problem for the same exact people. So we need some diversification there. So if I've got a bet in like observability, I'm not going to make another five bets in observability. That that's just not going to work because then I then my you know I've I've got competing interests within the portfolio and the fund. Right. So some of it is that. Some of it is that. You know, it is good to have a few complete. We might be ten years too early, kind of moonshots, but we think we're directionally right, and maybe this company and this team can survive long enough for the market to mature such that they are right because they're the first one there with the dominant position. So you have to have some like that. And then the rest of the time, what what I want is someone who deeply understands the problem space because they've lived it, uh, who's passionate about solving the problem, and they care more about solving the problem than they care about being right. By which I mean, 
if 50% of what they had in their head as the right way to solve the problem actually solves the problem and 50% doesn't, they'll throw out the 50% that doesn't and fill it in with stuff that does. So they're, you know, they're primarily oriented around solving the problem, not primarily oriented around making a point in the world. And then, and then is that problem sufficient that one people would pay for it to get solved? Is it enough of a problem? And two, is that market that those people represent? Is that best case scenario, is it an unbounded market, right? Is there no end to the future growth of that market, which in some cases is actually true. That's true actually in a lot of places. I mean, penetration of commerce online versus offline, it's still minuscule compared to what's possible. So building the next great e-commerce platform is serving an unbounded market. That's that's basically true. And any bet in that space, if you think it's a good one, is worth taking. Now, we don't invest in e-commerce, so that's not pertinent to Crane. But there are plenty of places in the B2B world where also there are things like that, where you're not, you're not inventing something from scratch, but there is a market that's underserved or unserved, and it's effectively unbounded from where we stand. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting you call out the... Uh, the the ones who have sort of lived in this space or, um, you know, who are like passionate about solving the problem, whether or not it necessarily becomes, I, I, I think we, we learned that, that lesson early on. I think we, we were one of the first interviews we did with, uh, with, uh, with Mitchell Hashimoto, uh, who's, you know, started HashiCorp was sort of his journey of like, I started this, you know, I was doing this job and I couldn't do certain things and I just built the tool that was, you know, gonna gonna make my day job or you know my day job easier, and then like he always would come back to us. He'd come back a year later, or a year later, and he'd go, "I just think this is the right way to do it." And it was it was never about like we're gonna dominate the market. It was just like I think this is the right way to build tools, and the you know the market has sort of come around to his way of thinking. But it's interesting that you look for those same sort of things. It just sort of jumped out at us as being like, "Oh, that that just makes a lot of sense." Yeah, what I found. And what works for us anyway is that people who are oriented that way tend to be more resilient to, you know, the ups and downs of trying to build something and facing a lot of rejection all the time and and persisting and having things not work and falling down when a big customer comes on board. All, all, all of those things, which are the natural ups and downs of trying to build a company, uh, it's it's hard to be resilient to that if you aren't driven by something that is external to you. Yeah, absolutely. Anil, let me ask you this then. So how how involved do you get with the companies? How involved do you even want to be? Because <laughs> that might be a different answer. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and how much is like founder led versus VC led? Yeah, as well. Well, there's Crane has a specific model that I fit well within, which is that we're fairly hands-on and we, insofar as founders want us there with them, we build the foundations of the company with them. So, you know, I'm, I'm on a board, I've led a bunch of investments, people, I'm basically extended executive staff. For those folks, I get pinged all the time, day and night on multiple platforms. And I, I basically behave as if I work at that company, uh, not full time, because that would be crazy. But but more or less, that's 
that's I respond, we figure stuff out together, we hop on a call, I'll talk through like deals with big customers that they're working to figure out how to like structure a contract, which is which is like a weird thing for someone on a board or who's a VC to get involved in. However, I can do that work and they need the work done. And so I help them with that work. Or or things like how do we figure out how to structure the go-to-market team? How do we, you know, how do we how do we lay out our our analyst relations plan, like all, all these things, which are over time will become things that operators within those companies do when your company is eight people, five people, 20 people, you might not have those people. And crane has that expertise in house because we specialize in, in providing help with go to market stuff like sales and marketing and customer success and PR and comms. We have people on staff with deep experience in all those areas and we help with that stuff. So crane is fairly deep and fairly hands-on. I, I don't know that that's typical. I don't really know what is typical anymore because there are so many things now. There's so many different formats of what is a venture capital firm, whether it's one person or a bunch of people, whether it's like two individuals with a rolling fund or or a multi or a company with 10 billion AUM that has hundreds of people. The, the models vary quite a bit. I want to ask you sort of one last question. We, we, we bounced around a bunch. Obviously, you know, we, we'd love to know where what the crystal ball looks like for the future, but we don't want to put you on the spot for that. But for anybody that, that follows you on Twitter, uh, they know that, you know, at some time in the morning, um, at Anil is going to send out a tweet of some some lovely cup of coffee somewhere. What uh, I, I assume, having, having known you in the past, um, you're always reading. You know, that might be, you know, at a coffee shop. It might be at your house or whatever. What are some of the things that have uh, sort of macro level, you know, piqued, piqued your interest both on the investing side, but also on the on the personal interest side? Because, like you said, you, uh, you 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 tend to be interested in a whole lot of things from you know the whole spectrum. Like you, I, I suspect at some point you do very very well on Jeopardy. But uh, what, what kind of stuff is <laughs> are you reading along with those coffee cups each month? Each- that, you know, on something like Jeopardy, it would be so hit or miss. We would hit some topic and I would totally destroy it. And then we'd hit something else and I would be abjectly ignorant and get nothing because <laughs> it's so random. Right. Or I, or not it, I am so random. Uh, so what I'll say is there, there are things where what I'm interested in, what Crane's interested, overlap directly. So things like I have a pretty strong belief that what what is happening in what's called the creator economy out there in the world of consumer stuff and social media and whatnot, that same thing is going to happen with software. And we're we're going to think less and less of software as, or maybe not think less of, but we'll have a new branch of thinking in software instead of it being a you know an industrial activity which is what it is today there will be a creator version of it where there will be a lot of people who make a lot of software who who are supported with similar kinds of tools that are afforded to musicians for instance where you you could have a manager you could have a company that that advances you you the money to produce a record and then markets it for you and advertises it for you and takes a big chunk of the profits like there are any number of models that exist in the consumer world that i think will begin entering the software world because a lot of people are beginning to and in the future will approach software 
as artists or as creators who are producing something, who are creating something themselves, who don't necessarily want to go out and build a company. And a lot of people will want to go out and build a company, but regardless what they'll want, there will be people who what they want to do full time is make software and be creative with it and somehow find a way to make a living with it. And, and we don't have enough ways for that to be true today. It can be actually quite hard for that to be true if you're an individual software maker or a small team. So that's that's one thing where I, I have a belief about the future that overlaps with Crane, and Crane has a belief about that future. And then there are other things that are just me where I I think I think the mid market is completely underserved by software as a service. There, there's just not nearly enough software designed for mid market concerns, and it's a completely untapped market because because it's hard to get investors excited about mid market mid market software companies. And, and that's, a, that's a thing that people are solving by having different kinds of investment firms that are happy to like invest in mid-market companies and, and take you know, a fixed return instead of trying to get a VC kind of equity slice that turns into a return to fund dynamic. So there are people trying to solve that problem because they also believe that. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then I also think that you know, all the like... Everything it takes to build a software as a service company, there there's hundreds of things that go into it at scale. All of those things are pro- all of those things should be products. I don't understand why every company rebuilds all the same plumbing over and over again every single time. A lot of that stuff can be pulled out and turned into a service or a product, and it will be over time. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's funny you mention that because, um, I mean it's related to a day job conversation, but I. I had literally that exact conversation this week. <laughs> of why, why the hell is everyone in our industry rebuilding these platforms for SaaS services? But anyway, yeah, the, I, I completely agree. That's a fantastic note to to kind of end this on. Without doubt. there, I mean, there's there's one more thing. I can't let it end there because because I it annoys me to talk about it, but I can't not talk about it because I would be remiss. Um, there's the world of blockchain and cryptocurrencies. Oh no, we're going to go on for three more. Oh hours. no, oh no, <laughs> no, no, we have to, we have to get it out there, get it off your chest. <laughs> we have yep. to throw it out there, Anil. Go ahead. So, um, as as an old timer now, which is to say, having been coincident growing up with the rise of the internet, a lot of the crypto and blockchain world it seems profoundly boring to me because we're just watching people re- rebuild the same stuff and relearn the same lessons again in a new format, which is fine. That's how evolution works. Great. Um, but but there is something there and there's something that has nothing to do with the underlying technology. The something there is that clearly there is demand for people who don't have access to a stable currency who don't live in a politically stable environment, who don't, who can't rely on the foundations of, you know, the structure in which they live politically, economically, socially, from a business perspective, need, need an out, need, need a place that delivers to them some of that. And, and where that's coming from today is from the world of blockchains and cryptocurrencies. I don't think necessarily that's the best way for that to transpire, but nevertheless, clearly there is demand. 
Yeah. Do do you see do you see it somewhat analogous to I don't know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago when when people would talk about how <clears throat> whether it was in Asia or Africa and it was like these these emerging places are just going to jump to mobile because they're not going to build out legacy infrastructure to do landlines and so yeah. even though it was, you know, significantly limited technology or whatever, they just that was what that was readily available to them and it didn't have that burden. I mean, is there an, an analogy sort of a comparison there or is that maybe not the right way to think about it? Oh, I think there is, but, but I, I personally think about it differently and, and now I'm totally out on a limb by myself. I think the thing that people don't have that they're leapfrogging to is, is a new governance model or a new business model. And it just so happens that the only way to, to have those new models and to play around with them and to use them and to see if they work or not and to have access to them today is via all the stuff happening in the world of Web3. And, and that, that I believe in. The idea that, that some portion of economic activity is going to be look more like community-owned co-ops rather than uh, centrally controlled corporations where you've got a stack of people with different influence based on the amount of equity and percentage of ownership they have over the company. Is that possible? Yeah, I, I think that's possible. And, and I don't, and although the world of web three is the thing that's making it possible today, it's not the tech that matters. It's the fact that, what we're enabling is experimentation with different forms of social contracts and different forms of doing business and different forms of making decisions that involve more people. It's good stuff, man. I think like, like you mentioned, we could, we could go on on this for a while, but uh, no, it's, it's good stuff. You always, you always do a really, really good job of, of sort of connecting dots. So we like, we like the chance to, to pick your brain a little bit. Um, I'm going to wrap it up there just because I know you're, you're a busy man. You've got uh, many, many Zoom calls, as we mentioned, to take. and uh, <laughs> Always. It's, uh, it's good to get your insight. Anil, if, if somebody you know, either you know, wants to pick your brain, wants to give you some, some good information, or you know, they're a company looking to work with a really cool VC fund, uh, what's, what's the best way to get in touch with you or to get in touch with the folks like at Crane? Yeah, there are two best ways. One is at Anil, A-N-E-E-L, on Twitter, or Anil at Crane.vc. Aaron, we're kicking off the year uh, in in good uh, in good standing. It's it's great to have Anil back on the show. It's good to sort of follow the money and uh, folks. I think we're going to wrap that up there. Uh, as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for kicking off 2020, 2020, 2022 with us. Wow, we're that far ahead. And uh, thanks for giving us feedback in all the ways that you listen to the show. Thanks for telling a friend about the show and helping us grow. And with that, we're going to wrap up and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.